Quick reminder, before we get to Josh Kerr, we're giving away a Cosmic Ray 6'8 single fin speed whistle on March 1st. One lucky person will win it, and they'll only be responsible for shipping costs. I did an interview with Cos two weeks ago, and you can find that at the beginning of episode number 253. Cos was making a recurring $5 monthly donation to this podcast, and then he emailed me to say that he wanted to give away a surfboard to another donor. So anyone who makes a donation of any size in the month of February will be entered to win. This network of podcasts will always remain free, so any and all support goes a long way towards growing our output. Surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate is where you can do that. Thank you for your consideration, and then a huge thanks to Cosmic Ray for offering to do this. Hugely appreciate it. I have links to his website and Instagram on my site and on Instagram at surfsplendor. Affable aerialist Josh Kerr was born in 1984 in Tweedhead, New South Wales, Australia. The only boy in a family of five older sisters, Josh began bodyboarding at the age of seven and surfing at the age of nine. At age 11, Josh was devastated when his father unexpectedly passed away after suffering a heart attack while windsurfing at Duranbaugh. Josh continued surfing, he joined the Snapper Rocks Board Riders Club, he started doing contests at age 14. He had really developed a repertoire and then a reputation for his aerial surfing. The industry was embracing the public's interest in above-the-lip surfing, and there was a series of airshow events happening, and eventually a world tour of events that crowned an airshow world champion. In 2001, Josh dropped all of his junior series efforts focused on the air tour and took home the world champ title. The following November, at the age of 18, Josh was walking home at night on the North Shore when he was struck by a car. It was a hit and run. The driver didn't stop. The main force of the bumper hit Josh's legs and it projected him into a puddle on the side of the road where he laid incapacitated with a severely broken lower leg. Of all people, it would be Kelly Slater who happened upon the disabled Josh. Josh said, quote, It all happened so quickly. It was raining and I couldn't see anything until the car was right on top of me. I dove out of the way, but it clipped me on the legs. I must have fainted because when I came to, Slater was looking after me. I thought I was dreaming, end quote. Slater helped Josh to the hospital where he underwent immediate emergency surgery to have pins inserted into his leg. The surgery was a success. Josh healed up and then he returned to win another air show world title. That air show eventually disbanded and in 2006, Josh focused all of his efforts on the world qualifying series. He qualified in 2007 and he finished fifth in his inaugural event at Snapper barely losing to eventual event winner Mick Fanning in what is still regarded as one of the best heats ever surfed. He struggled to find consistency throughout that year and eventually fell off tour. He re-qualified the following year, fell off again, and then re-qualified. And then in 2011, he finished eighth in the world and became a mainstay on tour until 2017. I started this whole spiel by referring to Josh as an aerialist, which isn't fully accurate. He won those early airshow world titles, he invented the corrupt flip, and probably other air variations, and he's responsible for the current airborne tour. However, it really doesn't paint a complete picture of Josh. He became one of the most well-rounded talents in all of surfing, absolutely charging Chopu every year, finished third in that event once, and then fifth thrice. He finaled at Pipeline, which helped his mate Joel Parkinson seal the world title over Kelly Slater in 2012. He even made a push in a couple of big wave world tour events. He met his wife Nikki early on in this story when he was 19 years old. They were married four years later, and they now raised two children together. 
And that's really where most of our conversation takes place today, focused on leveraging a surf career to build an idealized lifestyle for a family to travel the world and to enjoy each other's company, spending time in the ocean. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Josh Kerr. How's Cabo? Cabo was fun. Was it? Yeah, just um, pretty fun waves, mainly a bit of golf and only two surfs, two golf rounds. Would have liked to have been there longer. I was going to say, is how much is lifestyle transitioning into golf life as opposed to surf life? Oh, no, it's definitely surf. Just oh, golf's an aspect, but that trip was just like, oh, the weather looks so bad at home. Let's okay. just kind of get away. A friend has a um, place down there and he was going to be there, so why not just get cost us like 500 bucks return for three of us to go down why not wow Wow. um i wanted to talk about obviously sponsorship um your main sponsor isn't a surf brand i can't think of like another surfer pro surfer anyways who's kind of taken that path um so how did that happen and then like how did the relationship begin what are their expectations of you what what do you expect from them yeah, so the well, the relationship began by Robbie McKnight started a brand called Quater, um, and they're like a belt kind of, bit more in like the action sports, but they were acquired by Travis Matthew, and Travis Matthew then got acquired by Callaway, and um, yeah, I went in there and I was wrapping out with them, just talking about a deal between Quater and then guy travis brasher who was one of the founder of travis matthew was there and they got this fun speakeasy at their office and they got this rad vibe there and we're all having beers and just kind of one thing led to the next and um you know i'd been a free agent for probably over a year by this stage um for a major clothing brand and stuff like that so it kind of just I'd kind of lost faith a little bit in the surf industry and where the it was heading and you know all these these the major brands are not privately owned anymore they're all public and they're all owned by big hedge fund groups and stuff like that and it feels like they're just they don't really know where they're going their direction is kind of lost in there and um they're all trying to find that next big thing to claw themselves out of the hole they seem to be digging for themselves so you know it's there's some really rad startup brands out there and that but obviously I'd love to be a part of something like that, but financially it doesn't make sense with... They don't have much money, you know. They're all getting squished by the big guy. They're all trying to find their their way through the, you know, the direct-to-consumer world and everything that it has become with these giants like Amazon and everything like that, killing right. everyone. Right. And, um, you know, budgets aren't really there for those brands as cool and, as, and that as they are, you know. And... I really liked, you know, my world was kind of, you know, everything's kind of business, a little bit of business, obviously full lifestyle, and luckily, you know, I'm lucky enough to travel the world and do what I love still, and then having a brand that kind of accentuates that kind of lifestyle that I'm living already um, worked out good with Travis Matthew, that's for sure. And what do they expect of you? Their expectations are just do what I do, and you know just social do some photo shoots the cool thing is it's very loose you know this is their first real activation with any athlete really especially outside of you know they they definitely have a huge foothold in the golf world obviously but they're really trying to broaden out and be more of like just a lifestyle brand especially a california lifestyle brand and uh even though i'm not american or californian i've lived here for almost 10 years and i feel like i kind of embody that lifestyle that there is here to offer you know obviously being a person that's looking from the outside in i'm not really pigeonholed i kind of love everything that's around here you know in the way of there's everything from the coast to the desert to the mountains to and everything in between you know there's so much on off here and so much accessibility to everything yeah uh, that i just try and maximize that everything it has to offer and baja right down the road you know i mean the the previous the traditional surf brand sponsoring a pro surfer model was pretty um linear it was like we'll pay you here's a sticker put the sticker on our board and we'll get exposure from that it 
it's much more nebulous than that now. Do you even put their sticker on your board? Like, no, I, yeah, because I don't put a sticker on my board for them because everything now is digital, you know. It's kind of crazy that it's a bummer. It was so easy back then, you know. You'd get your regional sponsor guys. you get your guys on the local beaches. you have your big tour guys that are shown in the magazines and all that kind of stuff that influence everyone all the way through. And it was a good model there for a long time until, you know, the digital age came upon and and then obviously when it all became direct to consumer everyone was buying everything online and then all these poor surf shops started going out of business and everyone tried to go vertical in buying surf shops and putting all their own brands inside right. of them and then that just ended up getting crushed as well and you know the transition was a harsh transition in surf and that that's for sure I'm sure it's the same in in snow and in skate as well. Yeah. Um, just those kind of where it's such like a you know there's actual shops for specifically for surfing you know. Yeah. And they're just now they've turned into shops in multi aspects on a web page you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I mean, even with the tan- with the digital transition, I would think the sticker would still have relevance on the surfboard. Does it not? Or what's your policy on sticker placement? With you know, I'm just I have a. It's kind of I've got these boards that, that Matt from Album is shaping for me, and they're the most beautiful looking boards in the world. And it, it's kind of my whole theory is I just want to put those boards on beautiful waves as well, and um, as as beautiful as they look, and they're just they're creative outlines, and you get to. I'm so open minded of where a surfboard can take me now on a wave, and you know my whole. I just want to be able to put those boards on beautiful waves and it's not about the, the influence of the sticker on that board I don't think it's just about you know my brand of what I'm doing and stuff like that tying along with all of them and you know you're able to influence that through social media right. and different channels like that in this day and age so I feel like you know a sticker or maybe on a local beach has an influence but then again the Travis Matthew brand and my brand of Josh Kerr isn't really influencing these 12-year-olds and 16-year-olds anymore. I'm more of a family man, good wave kind of surfer and that and try and influence, you know, just more you open up the mind of a, a grown man. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, okay, and, I'm and not trying to win NSSA heats or anything yeah. like that anymore. I just want to get the most enjoyability out of my life and my surfing and everything in between. And the grown man doesn't appreciate overt branding. Right. Like a grown man is kind of if he needs something he'll he'll buy it or he'll figure out how to buy it but if you're throwing it in his face telling him to buy this product it's totally. almost offensive it's almost an affront exactly yeah. so that's kind of yeah now where I'm pushing myself is you know it's more of a more of that world because I know where my my asset is as, as myself yeah two brands and stuff like that it's not about pushing a sticker on the board and yeah. pushing the influence on the kids and stuff like that even though that's it's good and great all that kind of stuff but i just know you know that's for those early 20 year olds that are jumping on tour and making big names for themselves and that's kind of where their assets lie is influencing that up-and-coming market of the the juniors and stuff like that and the kids in the world that are looking up to them i do want to talk about um the album surfboards in a couple of minutes we'll get into that but i do want to because you mentioned kind of a grim outlook on the surf industry and the big brands going public do you feel p- pessimistic about it? I mean, what is the road out for the world tour? Obviously, not being able to get um, sponsorship for main events from those brands any longer. Like, what does it look like to you? What is the path out? You know what? There's there's still some really... I mean, the big brands have some good people working in there, but then there's this hierarchy above, which is tough for them to really penetrate through and show vision of how it's all going to work from the ground up. And I see some of them trying again to, you know, they've all just, let's go back to the youth. Let's start there again and let's build it up from there. And I think that's a really good thing. I see a lot of, you know, it's just, you know, it's tough for those big brands. They sponsor 50 kids in California between the age of 12 to 18, 12 to 16, and then maybe 10 to 15 from 16 to 20. And then after 20, there's only two left, you know, the best cream of the crop which is great and all, but um, I feel like there's going to be some really cool up-and-coming brands. There's some out there that are starting to really get some market share. And I just hope that they there's some that can really just 
you know, work hard just like those guys did, like Gordon Merchant and Billabong, all these guys, you know, selling stuff, just grind it out and not get, not look for the quick buck and grab that money too early and, and sell out too early and hopefully they can, um, I think that's going to be, it's going to take a few really gnarly entrepreneurs to really change it in, with some startup brands and I think it's coming, you know. Do you? It's going to maybe take time because it's a lot, someone with the right model that gets it from the start will make it happen you know there's going to be a few brands and that'll probably transition out some of those big brands that we all know as the top three and stuff like that i think that you're right like those smaller clothing brands can cater to a niche market and do really well as like a 10 or 20 million dollar company totally um i don't see though the value in the old model of like those those grand brands growing larger and then partnering with the wsl on events Mm -hmm. like i'm wondering if the wsl's new direction is finding their funding through selling the you know the rights to the events either to the consumer or through networks and that sort of thing and just figuring out a different revenue model than partnering with clothing brands i think yeah the main ones like you said will be out of out of industry but then again the industry they need those industry partners to solidify themselves as wsl so you know you get them in maybe on a partner scale or okay you know a presented by a kind of scale underneath yeah and um and give it some kind of you know each event have you know a good core surf partner because you can't you know surfing is not the same without it yeah what's your um can you explain the Red Bull Air Tour, uh, Air Tour, Air Show Tour yeah, thing? Yeah, Airborne. Airborne. Yeah, it's um, kind of concept I had. It was probably like two, three years ago now. I was kind of, you know, doing the grinding out there on the tour, and I'm like, things were just starting to get a little less fun. You know what I mean? From what I remember, and like, and what I used to look up to, expression sessions and different things like that, the air shows. Obviously, I've made my living from air shows and my name from air shows in my teenage years and early 20s and transitioned in my early 20s into the tour style. And then, you know, it gotten to the point where we didn't even have expression sessions. We didn't have these fun things going on at events. And I was like, man, like, I just want these and things. I just see the kids just coming up. Some aren't really molded for, you know, like I wasn't like if I didn't have the air show outlet. I probably would have never been a pro surfer you know I wasn't the kind of surfer that was ready to get coached and try and get on the QS at 18 19 years old like there's no way I would I didn't have the ability in certain aspects of my surfing but I really had a high-end ability in in the aerial side and luckily I had that outlet to be able to mature my surfing along the ways to get to tour right and I see other kids and I want to give those guys like you don't have to you know work so much on your form at you know 16 17 and make sure you finish a wave and all the rest of it that there is like i want to bring like an outlet where they those kind of guys that were similar to myself can you know show the world you know they're a world-class surfer on their own level of you know the air side and everything like that and you know just a different mindset just want things to get a little less serious and more fun and everything like that And, and also just that that creativity that innovation to kind of support that instead of like there's some guys even on tour even for them i wanted the outlet for some of those guys because you know the stuff they can do Mm -hmm. you know what they can do but they have to hold back so much in heats and all that and you know you know us as like fans and everything like that want to just see them just do what you know they can do but you yeah. just see them do a lip line float at a finish to get the score or right. something like that and you're just like ah oh, i just want to see them do that trick you're seeing on instagram or whatever you yeah. know so just to give that kind of outlet for these guys to really just go for it and just total entertainment value and especially now we've got this huge platform of wsl to be able to showcase it on with right show the whole globe which was never back in the van smash days or the quicksilver air show right. australasia days and stuff it's just a you know to be able to bring it to that platform i'm super excited i feel like it's going to be some good entertainment value so you pitched the idea to the wsl we ran one event last year in france right with kind of like as a tester event i suppose yep is what's the schedule this year how many events are they running and where so we haven't released the press release yet, oh, okay. <laughs> but okay. we uh, we will have three events this year three events okay yeah. cool and what's the format for the event it's the same as there's 18 men, 18 men in the field. We've got 12 guys that'll do all three events, a mixture of CT and free surf guys. 
Um, and then also we'll have six wild cards for each event. So mixing in a couple more CT okay. guys, more free surf guys, and you know, giving some guys a chance, you know, as well, which is good to have that many um, like wild cards to give away because there's so many up and comers that you know are right on that brink. They might not have given that shot from like you know the what youth crowd and yeah. you know all that to to really make a name for themselves, but you know, give them a chance to make a name for themselves on a global scale. It's a great concept. Um, inevitably, with rolling out any sort of surf contest, there's going to be so many hiccups along the way. And just as a commissioner role, trying to figure out all those details is going to be challenging. Um, my questions for you with the France event was like, did they just run you guys in the worst pot? I mean, their goal is to run their main contest in the best possible conditions. Does that mean that you get the short end of the stick? Well, yeah, I think we will get the short end of the stick, which I'm not too worried about. Like, the France event was really entertaining for how bad the waves were. Yeah. And, like, there might not have been a lot of landed airs, there was, but watching live, there was guys going for it every, every wave and some crazy almost airs and stuff like that. And that's kind of just what it is, you know? Like, for a live value, it, it's, it's massive. You know, six guys in a heat. Yeah, and just no real rules on having to wait for the set wave and stuff like that. So there's pretty right. much a guy on every single wave that comes through the lineup, and it just makes it fun. My biggest concern is that if Julian Wilson does a gnarlier air in the main event than what happens in the in that event, then that that creates an issue. You know, like as the viewer at the end when the highlight reel might be from the real tour. Mm-hmm. So I feel like running the air show thing has all of the validity that you're talking about, but doing it simultaneously with the main event right. creates kind of a conflict of interest. Yeah, in way, you know? I think right now, obviously, just utilizing the platform that's already there and the infrastructure that's already to. there, we have to for yeah. now to keep costs you know, manageable. Yeah. But the plan is to do, you know, standalones in really rad okay. locations, you okay. know, really, because you, this is something you can bring to places that you couldn't take a CT event, like Absolutely. to cities and stuff like that. It's a four hour event, one day, you know, to run, super easy. You don't need the best waves. You can bring it in super urban, you know, places and also to super remote places because you don't have as many surfers and as much um, infrastructure behind it. So part of my complaint about, I mean, not complaint, but just what I would like to see, the direction I would like to see the WSL go is fewer surfers, you know, so you don't, fewer surfers running in one swell, one swell window, three or four days at the most, Yeah. Um, obviously in better waves. What your, I mean, the air tour thing allows them to kind of operate that model. Yes. So I see this. Level definitely it's going to be a little bit of a wake-up call for the main tour as well as as since i got off tour it's been so hard to follow one event like from start to finish you know it's it's brutal i'm like i asked my friends i'm like how did you guys how'd you follow me like doing the tour it's so gnarly you have to be hardcore to follow like to do a tour from start to finish at like an event it's a long haul you know You know, it might take three days to run, but that could take 10 days to run. And, you know, I think that's the cool thing about the Airborne is just being able to... It's on, you're going to watch an event start and finish within four hours. You can, one sitting, you can watch a winner come out from start to finish. And, yeah, I see that maybe kind of maybe going over the tour side and and see, I don't know. I feel like there must be a... And I really like the the round-robin kind of format Mm -hmm. where... I hate seeing, or even myself, you know, you have like a couple amazing rounds when the waves are good, and then you just have that one unlucky heat, and you lose in round four, and you're out of the event, you're going home, even though you've put in the highest heat totals of the whole event already on the scoreboard, and the highest waves, and, you know, yeah. and you just don't make it to that final. I'd like to see like a round robin format where, you know, maybe everyone gets to surf twice, or maybe three times, maybe in four-man heat, so there's more action going on. Yeah. And then, you know, your top two or four scores get you to that top eight, and then it's just quarterfinals, man on man, to a finals. I mean, man on man, I feel like you need to have that a part of surfing. It does make a really fun kind of battle of sorts. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it'd be cool to see an event start and finish in two days, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. One day of pre qualifiers and one day from quarters to final and be done. It's like the big wave tour. Yeah, it'd yeah. be rad, you know? Yeah, totally. And yeah, like back to your point on the 
the air in the main event like being different I feel like that I'd love to see the best airs going in the main event as well but sometimes you got to wait three days to see that one air right yeah, yeah <laughs> I'd completely. rather for me as a fan I'd love to sit down watch four hours of action watch whether they land the best air or mm-hmm. they almost land the best air. I love seeing it all from almost air almost makes to makes you know yeah. and just guys going for it and being creative and you know putting a score to an air is pretty rad yeah um matt parker at album told me that he wasn't certain but he thinks that you've only ridden a thruster twice since you've been off tour is that true <laughs> that's true and once i was forced to do it as well because it was a contest Because it was a contest where it was a thruster division so i had to ride a thruster so you did it begrudgingly <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i i did it in a board i would normally ride as a quad too oh, okay it wasn't a typical thruster i haven't ridden an actual short board like anything that resembled something i would have rode on tour since i've been on tour why I just have zero, zero thoughts. And now that I'm like, you know, maybe at the start it was a little bit grudgingly, nope, just going on twin fins, you know, now I'm off tour and stuff. But now I'm like, I can't, I pick up and look at a board that looks like that. I can't even like really fathom or comprehend how you would surf it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to hear you say that because I long ago gave up the hope of shredding on a high-performance shortboard, and, like, twin fins make a lot of sense for me. They're easier to ride and easier to paddle and all that. Um, but I, in my head, if I knew I was, like, my fittest and my most athletically able, I think I would probably ride the shortboard and try to do cool tricks on it, you know, right. airs and stuff. So I'm interested to hear your thought process. Why? Was it well, just because you were forced to uh, do it for so long? A lot long? of the boards I am riding are performance boards as well you know they're not retro twin fins and stuff like that that are i want to there's a lot of cool aspects that matt puts into his boards that are have a retro kind of look to it but there's everything is very like modern in Mm -hmm. amongst it whether it be the concaves the rails pulling in the tail way tighter so then you know you can get more in the pocket and i've been just i have been riding a lot of quads you know which which give you similar feeling to a thruster but obviously i just it's crazy how much faster they go like a a thruster i just when i rode i felt like i was getting pulled backwards really yeah i mean which gives you control in a pocket because when you're going faster a turn is harder to make right but i've always liked that feeling of just being on the brink of you know disaster yeah <laughs> so to have that feeling on like going really fast in pocket and just knowing you have to really commit to your turn with your head and shoulders and that's been so much more fun and um yeah i mean my boards allow me to do the surfing that i would be doing on a th- high performance thruster but um just has that different look and outline and fin setup so do you feel the thruster and specifically for the guys on tour is inhibiting their surfing um th- there is aesthetically a board like with that kind of longer kind of look does look nice and in a pocket i think but i feel like guys at Bay and stuff like that geez they could get off some of those thrusters and make a lot more sections and i think do a lot more so but you know it's a, it's there's a learning curve as well you know yeah i mean i would love to have my last year on tour again and have my mindset and my board that i have right now yeah and just do it like this because i feel like i would have taken my surfing to another level the judges wouldn't even know how to process it you know what i mean like it's almost like there isn't room i mean i I remember stewie kennedy at the u.s open but i feel like maybe even slater riding one of tomo's boards at Mm -hmm. one point and just the fact that it was square shaped right it was like the judges weren't even sure how to judge the wave right really bizarrely yeah round nose can give you that kind of feel i guess a little bit yeah but um yeah i i feel like aesthetic and my you know matt's so good like i said about just making things have that kind of retro look and that but just have that pointy nose and you know they don't look odd right on a wave they look really good you know especially with their creative design agency designing cool looking um glass jobs and sprays and stuff like that resin tints and that everything it just looks so pretty When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. 
Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, what was your introduction to kind of just opening your mind to those sort of things? I feel like I remember you writing when you were on Rusty at Chopu, even writing asymmetrical boards there on tour, and it wasn't noticeable. Like you couldn't visually see it, but I just remember either you mentioning it in a post-heat interview yeah. or something. Yeah, so I've I've always been open to surf craft, okay. you know, like always, um, always like, you know, I did like a fun concept um, shoot with my buddy for the Red Direct where we wrote everything from a liar longboard through to a single fin, twin fin, all the way up to a thruster and that. And I've always been, I've always been into the feeling of a twin fin. I've always been into finless soft topping, always, yeah. you know, all the kind of different kind of ways you can ride a wave. Mm -hmm. And I've always been open to everyone and especially the people hanging out, you know, I grew up with Asher Pacey and... I've always looked up to him as a surfer and he kind of molded into that twin fin world and just the surfing he's been doing on his board. And then you got, you know, guys like Tyler Warren, Ryan Birch, um, who else? Torrin Martin, I've been a big fan of his stuff lately. And, you know, just riding a wave on different looking crafts and where those lines can put you, I've always been a fan of. Yeah. And I was even doing it when I was on tour in free surf trips and stuff like that and always loved playing around with asymmetricals. Like, I shaped an asymmetrical for Chopu, like you were talking about. Speaking of Torn Martin and speaking of Jay Bay, like, that footage recently with him riding that 7.9 twin fin channel bottom. Yeah. I feel like everything that everybody's ever talked about with Jay Bay is, like, it's all about the pacing of the wave, right? Mm -hmm. So, Torn on that board, I felt like was on pace every single step of the way. There wasn't a moment where right. he was doing the wrong thing in the wrong spot. It was just, it was flawless. It was like, that's how J-Bay should be served. Right. Riding it, the worst board I could imagine riding it on is a thin, rockered out thruster. You know, like, <laughs> it's shocking. Well, because you can't get out there on the face, you know? Like, your eyes might look out there like, I want to do a turn it there, but then you got to turn your eyes up into the pocket and right. try and hit up, hit up, tighten the lip. Right. So, yeah, it definitely puts you on a different pace to the wave, and that's something that's been really fun. Like, I'm getting ready to get, do, like, a three-month trip to Australia for six weeks and then Indonesia for th six weeks. So, oh, wow. super excited just to take the most diverse batch of boards out there. I did it also last year, and um, it's just so fun when you have it's such a good canvas of a wave and have these different feeling boards, different yeah. fin setups. It's so rad. Can you explain a lot of um, listeners or surfers are afraid of asymmetrical just because it looks so different? And especially if you got to pony up a thousand bucks to buy one, it's a yeah. big risk. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you explain the sensation and the feel for asymmetrical boards? How is it different? Right. Okay. So you can have like that lengthier rail on your bottom turn, which talking about before projection off the bottom, which gives you projection to be able to actually carry more distance on your bottom turn and everything like that. But then when you have a lengthier rail on both sides, you have the um it can catch easier when you roll it to your heel side especially if it starts getting steeper and stuff like that on the wave so having that little chip out so your rail line's shorter on your heel side rail lets you roll it over easier lets it transition from a bottom turn to a top turn quicker so you don't get that kind of catching point that a, like a longer railed surfboard will give surfboard will give you 
so you get the you know you get all the the comforts of the the extent long bottom turn and projection projection bottom turn to be able to just roll on your heels and then it just transitions so nice on that mm-hmm. you know toe side to heel side transition so you can um you know push really hard in a pocket or whatever you know it just gives you that really nice feeling and it's definitely nothing to be scared of <laughs> it's right. awesome and well, i love you- it also i've got i've got opposite ones for my backside as well because i really love i really like them backhand a lot because something about backside when you you kind of a bit snappier in the pocket you know on your backhand so having that break free point once mm. you transition to your toes and having all that um distance carry on your on your backside heel side bottom turn it's a really nice feeling hmm. so you use separate boards for front side versus backside right so a lot of my ones um I've been riding the 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 ones with like the twin fin on one side and then the quad on the other is like a typical asim. I ride quad quad, but transition to where the quad will be. Say if the tail, say one side, the pointy part is that's the tail, and then wherever the other one is, that's the tail. So the they're offset the quad right, the quad fins, and I ride I ride them like that, and I just ride them pretty much, you know, one direction only. I okay. don't. If I'm going front side, I ride my front side ace him. If I'm going back side, I ride my back side ace him. Okay. And I, you know, I, I get the best feeling out of them that way. Interesting. And is there any, um, do you adjust your surfing at all? If you're riding a symmetrical board and then you hop on the ASIM, is there any learning curve there at all or adjustment mm-hmm. period? Nah, if anything, I really love riding them in pocketier kind of ways because of, like I said, that break free and that rollover is much easier. So you don't have to commit quite as hard so normally where you kind of stick in a steep pocket it breaks and rolls over quicker so you can i feel like you can kind of get a bit more aggressive and it's super fun yeah my experience with them in riding math sports specifically is more um yeah it's more sensitivity yeah it's like in turning it's just like tighter radius more sensitivity and certainly no learning curve at all people think that you're gonna just visually it looks so different that they're gonna have to like learn how to surf it and that's not the case at yeah, all yeah i think it's as long as like i like to keep my noses symmetrical oh, okay. even on a asymmetrical tail okay and that kind of gives that kind of as long as you've got that symmetrical kind of look that you're used to on the nose yeah. i feel like that that helps a lot yeah. and especially for a first timer that would help them a lot so they don't have to think about what's going on behind them, just just go off feel from there you know totally um one thing I really want to hear you speak about is being the father of a burgeoning surf star. <laughs> um, what are the um, what are your ambitions for Sierra? She's uh, got the world, you know, at it's her a feet. it's a tough kind of position to be in. You know, she's turning twelve this weekend, um, so just that kind of world of like I want her to you know have her own stardom and that, but then also I want her to realize this is a lifestyle. It's saying more than anything i want to just be able to go to paddle out and surf with my girl you know my kids and everything you know has nothing to do with them getting good and if they do awesome and if they don't you know that's just fine you know she's obviously got such a crazy knack for talent and natural ability and i whatever i put in her hands or put under her feet she seems to pick it up quicker than most (laughs) quicker than myself especially so you know just watching her her um you know her progression rate is just so fun as a dad you know it's amazing but you know my i don't really have what what the end game is or anything like the end game is to really hurt or love what she's doing and that's about it and i mean if that's the only thing i can pass on as a dad to my kid then perfect good (laughs) i mean that's a phenomenal end game that's what it should always be however you do acknowledge her talent. The world acknowledges her talent. And you can see, I mean, you've seen the perils of not only the surf world, but like celebrity in general. So what are your concerns when you're looking at the reality of the direction she's going? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. She's so she's really good and she's on it. She's got such a strong mind, you know, like with whether she's so determined on whatever it is and stuff like that. And she's really good around people. So I feel like she'll figure out wherever it takes her on her own no worries you know i don't think she's gonna have a weird learning curve to, or a steep learning curve you know where she's so sheltered in a small town and then boofs surf stardom or anything like that yeah. she's gotten to travel the world with me she's gotten to meet 
all the people that you could meet in the industry and and as athletes and stuff like that so i feel like she'll have a comfortable transition in wherever it takes her yeah is there a strategy to keep somebody grounded um yeah you got to put them in place for sure <laughs> absolutely <Do you>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah can't let them think that the world revolves around them that's for sure uh um. <laughs> Is there any concern for Colin? Like, as she kind of has all this attention and limelight, is there any concern of, like... Well, he's 18 now, and we had, like, a... You know, there was a transition period, you know, the last couple of years, but he's in such a great, great place right now. He's college classes. He's doing... He's working five days a week at Fish 101 as well. Is he really? Yep. Good. That's how his, you keep him grounded, Yeah, actually. he's making his money. He's make, you know, he's got good friends, good little... Um, you know lifestyle in this area here in in north county so i'm kind of jealous of what he has going on to be honest are you <laughs> yeah so he's going to college yep good doing, for him yeah what does doing, he want to do he's he's doing his two years of pre-grad stuff so he's unsure of where what where it'll take him Got right it. now he's thinking engineering architecture kind of world he was really good at building legos really good <laughs> so maybe that was the prerequisite to where it'll take him yeah absolutely I want to talk about some of your business endeavors. You were early in with um, St. Archer. Yep. How did that opportunity present itself initially? Ah, initially, I think it was just talking to one of the co-founders around, I think he was in the management field, and then I was talking to him, and this was something that was just kind of on his radar. He was talking with a couple of other athletes about starting it, and then they kind of just got it off the ground, and, and I got the pitch the deck pretty much as soon as it was ready. So I saw the vision straight away and jumped in. It is an unbelievable success story. Yeah. I mean, it's really the model that you would hope for when you invest in something like that. Obviously, it's a beer brand for listeners who don't know. And then Miller Coors ended up buying it out within a short period of time, right? Yeah. Maybe a little too soon. It would have been nice oh, to really? kind of enjoy the ride a little longer. Cause it was fun, you know, hanging out with all the other athletes from the snow and skate world. And that was the whole exciting part for any of us. It was like, either way, we're going to get beer and we're, <laughs> we're going to be able to hang out with cool people. It was rad. It was good for everyone involved, good. for sure. It was a great little step ahead in life for everyone involved. And, you know, it worked out well. Did you parlay that into Balter? Basically, yeah. So saw the vision of where craft beer was heading in Australia and got the boys together and did it from ground up with them and that's been amazing for us there. Who are the boys and what's the vision? Boys are Mick uh, Fanning, Joel Parkinson and B Durbridge and the vision was just to brand a beer and you know have our own um, brewery in our local hometown there. It's right there in Corumban and the vision was like either way we'll get to hang out and drink beer together we'll see where it takes us cool <laughs> and um yeah it's been a really really rad um opportunity so far and it's taken us really far we've got almost 60 employees now what? and yeah the fact we're just exponentially growing annually so it's been pretty amazing to be a part of and um we have amazing people involved on the management side there so the first year was a lot of work you know getting everything going the hires everything in place and then being able just to kind of sit back and kind of review annually and that's about it it's been really nice and all the people we have involved they're all friends or friends of friends friends of the boys and yeah, like yeah. that we've been able to get in on the upper management level so you know it's been fun to be able to work with people that you respect and know already yeah and build a community and be able to support those people and all that yeah it's important yeah um are we ever going to see that beer in the U.S.? You know, it's been tough to... It's beer, right? you got to brew it. So to be able to brew enough beer, to be able to export and stuff like that, we've been having a hard time keeping up with demand just within Australia right now. Okay. But I do bring a few back in my um, suitcase. <laughs> I come back and forth and so is my buddy. So um, that's always nice to get a fresh case of Volta at home. But yeah. um, I think for sure in the next year or two we'll be shipping some stuff over and cool. doing some activation but obviously the heart is back in australia yeah um tell me about your other business endeavors that you've got going pitch them so that people are aware what you're <laughs> up to um you've successfully transitioned like you're a great model for other pro surfers to follow kind of once you get off tour to be able to diversify yeah you know you just 
I think the big thing is just to utilize that time you have when you're on tour and, you know, your brand and your name and, you know, not just be so, um, you know, pigeonholed, just only going, getting ready to go out and surf that next seat. Yeah. Like, you know, utilize your time. You do have a lot of time, you know, while you're on tour of that you can educate yourself. You know, I didn't do college or anything like that. And, I started a brand um, that was kind of my college. Like I started a loungewear brand, didn't do so hot eventually, but what you was know, the brand? it was VNDA. Yeah, and I was always w- wondering, is it pronounced under? Under, yes. It is. Okay. Yeah, cool. under. So that was a that was basically my college from ground up, watching how to start something for, as a concept in our mind, which was our my concept and a buddy's concept, and we. Um, to get it from that to the stage of um, production and going to market and everything in between and starting a brand you know it was really fun and a, you know just being an entrepreneur you know just all the time and sweat equity you have to put into anything to make it work is it's fun you know and just education is power I feel like now the more you can educate yourself on as much as you can the more opportunities that will present itself is that brand still in business and uh, not in our hands anymore got it yeah got it got it what was um what did you learn from that experience what i learned just any missteps that were definitely missteps and just all the elements that have to align you know and how hard you have to just because you get to market that's not the, that's not the end game you know just to get it to actually stick and how many years and how much hard work that can take and um how committed you really have to be I feel like with that stuff you either have to have some you have to have people that are living and breathing it every single day day in day out whether it's yourself or the your partners you're involved with and that's the only real really way to make something stick yeah because i would imagine in your position you get offers all the time probably for either partnerships or something you could either just throw your name on or friends who need money that want it you know or whatever it is um so how do you navigate that? How do you make those right choices? And Yeah, I think right now for me, it's just passion, you know? Yeah. If, I'm, if I don't see it, even if it is going to be profitable, I won't get involved, you know? If I don't see it, if I'm not passionate about it, it's just not where I want to be, you know? Yeah. You know, I want to just be, you know, you want purpose in life. So the purpose is just getting involved in passionate projects and stuff like that. So what's your involvement with Fish 101 and why is that worth involvement ah i'm just actually really good friends with john who started before he ever started the first fish 101 and um helped them out with putting a fun team together of the boys and he he got the vision and obviously an amazing restaurant and i just more than anything i get involved in that just for the community aspect john park who owns it along with ray are both huge in the community pushing whether it be fundraisers, anything in surfing or anything really. They're just a really good aspect to this community in North County. And, um, yeah, I just get behind it because good people deserve, you know, good things. Yeah. <laughs> I just went to their new restaurant on Saturday. Yeah, the one down in Cardiff just yeah. opened. Yeah, exactly. And we've got a good group of ambassadors with myself and Taylor and Damo and um, Jake Marshall. So, And all the kids, you know, he looks after everyone, whether it be – taking him to a surf comp or taking him on a surf trip he did this fish 101 movie last year and had a lot of fun filming around that so yeah yeah, yeah it's it's they're doing a really good job it's yeah to see. um i'm still upset about a wave that you got underscored on long long ago <laughs> the club sandwich turn against mick fanning oh, at geez. gold coast dude that was the biggest <laughs> ripoff i'd ever seen so um who invented the term club sandwich there was a stab magazine guys actually invented the term i did a trip with them back in probably that year 07 i guess and it was right after they'd seen it that was just kind of my version of a grab rail reverse that say like andy irons and all that were doing more i guess they were doing a bit more horizontally across the lip kind of thing a bit flatter and for some reason i just started kind of cranking it over a bit more in the pocket and trying to kind of flip it over so I don't really know where I came from doing it. Just kind of happened, but then yeah, the stab guys just called it the club sandwich because it has a little bit of everything. It's so good. Yeah, it's the best <laughs> name ever. I love it, and I um, it was was it Derek specifically that came up with it? Uh, probably Derek. Yeah, that's I've 
tried to figure it out, and that's where all signs point. I mean, Derek or Derek. Sam. I can't okay. remember which one. Feels like honest. a Derek thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I loved the name so much, and I've been a little bit indignant when I hear commentators not use the name. <laughs> like, Jeremy Flores will do one, and somebody will just be like, oh, he did a rail grab reverse. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> club sandwich. Use the term club sandwich. Because it's so It is a good name, yeah. Because I didn't have a name for it. It was just like underlip reverse grab rail i don't know so sick yeah (laughs) and it was like you were saying when you're explaining asymmetrical boards that you like being on the like teetering on the edge of disaster right exactly what that was it was just like i mean you you might be able to describe the heat better than i but i feel like you needed a score mick had a couple of high scores you threw everything into this turn and it was so explosive and radical and different than anything we had ever seen i'm like well that deserves the score for sure it does but again, the judges didn't even know how to even process it. Right, and that's that happened. You know, that's still, still to the age of the wave is a certain part of the score. Still in the, unfortunately, still in the um, criteria. You know, you got to be on a good wave. Yeah. And sometimes the way you know, what you see online because you're so zoomed in, isn't really the wave. You know, right. like aesthetically, a wave is kind of what you see of like how long is that swell line roping for how you can tell if that wave has a bit more juice in it and stuff you know that you might not be able to see online that still plays a role into the score you're given i feel even though when you're zoomed into this little square the wave looks very similar to the other guy's wave but aesthetically when you see the whole broad kind of look of the wave it's very different so it's a it's tricky right i mean there's no easy way to judge (laughs) there really isn't and there's that's easy cop out is just to blame the wave yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you're right too like if the the vastest viewing audience is online i feel like the wsl needs to figure out how to convey some of those things that you're talking about that you're experiencing on site to the audience because there seems to be a disparity oftentimes with me viewing it at home versus the way that the scores are coming i would actually like to see a, a split judging panel one judging off video review and one judging live you know i would i would like to see that because i feel like you can see so much you can kind of get um you know like the the wall pulled over your eyes a little bit with live you know but when you are looking on that square you can kind of break it down a lot easier and they do do that afterwards but still you've still got burnt that image of what you saw with your own eyes live yeah you know towards the score yeah so I think it'd be nice to see a split judging panel between both. That's interesting. I've never thought about the split. I've been advocating for years about the judges don't even have to be on site because they are subject to the energy of the crowd and all that sort of thing. Absolutely. So if you just removed the judges and they viewed it the same way that I view it online with the reviews and everything, I think that that would be a solution. Another thought is they don't even need to score it live. Like, why not just give the surfers the 30 minutes? Because what you run into the issue where somebody gets overscored early and then the judges are kind of locked into that high level of the scale. If they just watched the heat in the 30 minutes and then at the end decided these two waves get these scores for that guy and this guy gets these scores based on... I think that could work well in like a jam kind of session style. But man on man would be hard because you kind of know... It's nice to know what you need (laughs) going towards the end of the heat, you know? Right. It's nice to know, should I wait for a a good wave and what's going on there? Right. I'd like to get two thoughts from you regarding the WSL. First one being, where do you think is kind of their biggest room for improvement like where do they have the biggest room for improvement and then the other one being the opposite where, what do you think they're doing really well right now ah geez that's tough i mean the sport has been elevated so much in the last five years it's kind of crazy how far it's come and how they've done a really good job of just pushing it to the masses and all that kind of stuff i mean i mean could we make it easier for the core industry to get involved maybe that would be a good aspect to maybe bring in then again they still need to make money (laughs) you know know, to to do what they're doing on a on a mass production level and how high quality the broadcast has gotten and everything like that um yeah i mean it would be nice to see some maybe some core surf activations in amongst there and I don't know, realistically, they are starting to do really well even on the feeder levels of the juniors and the um, 
the QS and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they've done a really good job. I mean, you can pick apart little bits here and there. Sure. For sure, but when you look at it as a whole and where it's come from in the last five, six years, guys are getting paid good money, you know, and and um, the level of quality of everything is so much higher. Yeah. It's pretty rad. Um, at the end of the day, it is still a business. And do you yep. think that there is a way for the WSL to make money? I mean, obviously their goal is to grow to the mass audience, the non-surfing community is where that equation pays off. Yeah. Is there a way to do it? Yeah. Are you I optimistic mean, about it? I'm optimistic. I mean, it, I'm not sure if how much wave pools might have to get involved to become to get it to that whole nother level of mass side of things to be able to really make the, those huge dollars to be able to get it to like a, a huge entity sport to rival other sports that are out there on a major level. I mean, they've really done a good job of globalizing the community of surfing. Um, I think that's, you know, we see the biggest industry coming out of Brazil now, really, because they're pushing so hard. They've got such a huge number of surfers doing really well. They've got a big community of support behind them in their country. And and you see them kind of gravitating towards that a bit as well. And, um, you know, it's kind of like it went through America, Australia, now it's Brazil, who knows where the next nation or continent will be coming from. Or it could just be the middle of the yeah. continent with the wave pools. You know, I mean, that's totally. really where it is. Totally. And, you know, the wave pools will, I think, get it to that next level. So in 10, you know, five years' time, we're going to be, definitely in 10 years' time, I think pretty much every surfer will be, will be somewhat accessible to a, a pool within a short flight or a hop, skip, and a jump kind of a way, you know. Yeah. On the podcast, we've kind of jokingly talked about u.s open in 2022 being in austin texas you know like they they bought that enlin park and they have all the infrastructure in austin that they don't have in lamore yep and they're used to doing festivals there and it's kind of like there's the i mean that's you know that just brings that whole x games vibe and stuff like that and you know it gives it a whole new brand you know like image and everything like that as well like surfing itself will get a whole new brand image when it goes towards that stuff as well so we'll see i don't know i know i'm not advocating for i it. mean exactly i'm like i'm i'm a big fan of everything being in the ocean and there being elements of yeah di- so many different elements because you know then it just really turns into that sport specific kind of element and i i like things going more towards the lifestyle side of things yeah what really built this sport in the the first place was the lifestyle that came along with it yeah and um yeah so that's my kind of it's tough i know and so (laughs) i'm not advocating for the pool thing i'm just kind of acknowledging that if the wsl needs to actually turn a profit right that those things kind of have to happen but my main concern is because i want them to do well so my main concern for them is the core tenant of all of surf experience, even competitive surf experience, was always man or woman versus nature, first and foremost. So it might be man-on-man competition, but realistically, you're just trying to impose your will on pipeline and get the right wave and be deeper than your competitor, but it's really you and mother nature first. Mm -hmm. Secondary is the other opponent in the water. And I feel like the pool doesn't account for any of that. The pool strips all that away, and now it's just competitor versus competitor and mm-hmm. you know exactly when the wave's coming and you know exactly what the wave's going to do which allows you to run the business but it again overlooks the core tenant of all of surfing right. prior you know exactly and i'm not sure and i'm not sure uh, you know that is the sport side right we're already they're pretty much bringing that mentality even towards the ocean as is right now you know with the way they're trying to run events on similar condition days or you know get the best waves and you know you're guaranteed to get the waves and you know it's a sport and that's where they're pushing it mass production and i feel it's going to have to go there for sure and i really hope it's only a i don't know if there's going to be separate tours maybe there'll be a could be a a pool tour and then there'll be a ocean tour yeah (laughs) who knows i mean if you look at motorcycle riding it's like things only existed in nature for decades 
you know, and indoor stadiums and, and all that. Yeah. And then the stadium thing came, yeah. and both can coexist. Absolutely. And both actually prop one another up. Like, it increases um, development of helmet technology and everything along totally. the way, you know? Yeah, and I feel, exactly. Motorsports is a good point of that, where they can live between, you know, the... Exactly, enduro and state, you know, and they both have their own kind of kind of bucket. But the, the sport, sport part of element is that stadium supercross kind of side, and that's what the right. the average Joe wants to go see that doesn't even ride a motorbike. Right. You know, exactly. they don't want to sit at a at a enduro track and watch guys pass by them one time. <laughs> right. Exactly. And doesn't want to drive out to the desert <laughs> and not see nowhere. the whole track. Yeah. You know. So yeah, it's the sport side, and that. It, it will go towards that side, and I feel like that will be a huge side of profit and stuff like that for WSL. The crazy thing is, okay, now that we figured out the plan, yeah. there's a million <laughs> things that can go wrong. Like in the blueprint, there are a thousand decisions for every little detour, <sighs> totally. and any of them can go wrong at any time. It's yeah. like crazy. Yeah, it is. It's it's tough. I don't know. I'm glad yeah. I'm not making those decisions. Yeah, you know? or definitely would not want to be the CEO of the pool tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or funding it or like trying to figure out yeah like logistically doing um, the whole co- yeah you need event guys that basically put on coachella is who you need to be yeah. running the, the pool side totally a <laughs> um, couple of wrap-up questions what surf media do you follow nowadays where do you get your surf news pretty much surfline and stab it's oh, probably nice. my two places that i'm getting most of my stuff um and of course the gram <laughs> yeah <laughs> right totally um do you subscribe to magazines i don't subscribe to any magazines is that really bad but then again i never did to be honest you got them for free yeah i got them sent to me or i grabbed them and i do love the feeling i do keep nice um surf mags you know there's been some great issues come out now because people it's more about just doing those bi-monthly or quarterly you know really nice books and i've got a few sitting next to each toilet in my house yeah Uh, (laughs) you ask if it's bad it's not bad it's important to acknowledge the way things are changing and yeah yeah i don't think it's right or wrong or good or bad um you're writing a lot of matt parker's boards and albums are there any other surfboards you see on the gram or anywhere else where you're like dude that guy's doing super interesting stuff i would love to try some of those boards um i feel like there's a lot out there to be honest yeah like I feel like the whole movement of people transitioning to creative crafts has come a long way. And uh, maybe I'm just maybe taking more notice to it. I'm not sure no, because the world I'm in. I think you're right. It has come a long way. <laughs> you know, you've seen the big guys like Ash is riding DHD boards and he's got his own little kind of quiver of that style boards coming out through there. And, you know, you've seen those big – and even I've seen Mayhem pushing some retro-looking crafts and stuff like that lately. So I feel like – He has an ASM too now. Yeah, there ASM. you go. I'm sure I'm sure Matt's made, made a lot of fun of the, the hipster crowd in the years. But now, oh, Matty boy, you're Coming joining us. Joining <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect branding too. They call it the Maysim. Yeah, it's Mason's I did see that. That's right. I was like, damn it. That's so clever. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so – yeah, I feel like most of those guys are kind of transitioning towards it because there is such a big market. And I don't know if just the surfers are, you know, there's a big market of those guys that are 25 to 45 that really are open to that mm-hmm. kind of world of surfing. Mm-hmm. Um, what surfer are you most excited to see pop up on the gram when you see a clip of somebody? Well, who will you stop and watch? <sighs> I like Italo's stuff. Do you? Felipe, uh, like in the Groms in Hawaii, like Noah Beshin, Baron Mamiya. Ah, jeez, Torrens, Ashes, uh, Ryan's. I don't know. Lots of the guys yeah. are like seeing. Awesome. Chippers. Yeah. <laughs> Noah Dean. Rad to see Chipper the last year or so. Yeah, it's been r- fun to w- follow his development from. You know, I used to live not too far from him for a little bit there, and as a little young little freckly grommet into you know him grinding it out not really ever getting too much in the way of sponsorships but then always watching how creative he was to the boys at like what youth and all that kind of picking him up and globalizing his name and he's he's rad yeah he's super rad i think he's a huge asset to surfing for sure it's gonna be fun watching him live in the 
the events this year, that's for sure. Yeah. One of the things, this dovetails with the way that you were talking about the Airborne Tour. Um, yeah, Felipe does, and Idolo, let's say, are going to do the craziest airs that we're going to see. But seeing Chippa just launch a straight air into the flats in that latest video edit and not land it mm-hmm. is equally as entertaining. Absolutely. And so... <laughs> it, it you worry with the WSL or the tour just like that things get homogenized and they are, have to be a certain way. Chippa doing that reminded me of you don't even have to land it, and it it was a wave that I wouldn't have even have taken off on because it was like mushing through. Yeah, and he just took off on the whitewash, went straight up and didn't land. And I'm like, well, that was as entertaining as Felipe doing double rotations. Totally. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's, right. that's what I think we're gonna see. And those guys, we're gonna watch. You know, we probably might see Italo and Flip do the best airs, but then we probably will see, you know, the guys like Chip and that do the most creative yeah. or the most wild almost stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what this platform is for. And it's equally entertaining. Equally entertaining, absolutely. Yeah. Um, final question for everybody is just, what was the last surfboard that you rode? last surfboard I rode was a... Quad album insanity. Yep. What's the length on it? Five, 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 eighteen, just over eighteen and a half, and two and a quarter thick. Where'd you ride it? Cabo. Oh, I haven't surfed right. since being back. I've had a bad shoulder. Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Josh. No worries. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. We've linked to his social media, everything that we discussed in this episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com, including that heat from his very first year on tours, 2007, um, where he came up against Mick Fanning at Snapper. It was the quarterfinals. He had Mick comboed with five minutes left and then Mick comboed Josh within that last five minutes. Josh got that one wave where we talked about the club sandwich where he gets barreled, absolutely combos the crap out of it and then does the club sandwich at the end, at the very final turn. Needed, I think, a 9.7, 9.6 and ended up getting like an 8.67. So um, in my mind, it was a 10-point ride. It was crazy. So I've posted that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Check that out and everything else we discussed. Leave a comment in the comment section for Josh. And then, of course, don't forget, if you'd like to support this show, you could do it um, on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. There's a PayPal button there. You can make a one-time donation or set up a monthly subscription. And um, that goes a long way towards supporting the show, of course, generating more content. And then, of course, you'll, you will be in the running to win that Cosmic Ray single fin. It's six foot eight, and uh, it's beautiful. So you can check out photos of it there as well. And thanks for those of you who have sent a note with your donation saying that you've been meaning to donate for years. And, um, you know, this was obviously a good reason to get off the fence and do it. But really nice notes. Hugely appreciate it. Glad to be able to generate this content. So thank you for that. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode. But until then, this is, of course, David Scales for Surf Splendor reminding you to get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves, and shred on.